let's start again. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, right, you can record now. Okay, so we are going through a series on um, serving, and the, serv- the series title is Growing Servant Hearts. And um, accompanying this series is um, a book, which I've now gone completely blank on, Serving Without Sinking. And you can get this from the welcome desk. It's just £5 to buy. There are only a few left. So be quick if you want one. Otherwise, go and get your own, get your Kindle version, whatever you need, okay? Oh, 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 there's a sheet and and Dan will get you one. Uh, So last week we did Give Sacrificially, and we're looking at Philippians 2. So if you found Philippians 2, that's not going to help you, because this week... (laughs) Sorry, Rob's done it. This week we're doing Love Selflessly, and we're going to base it on John 13. I know, I've messed you all up. And next week, we'll do commit entirely. And that'll be a different, entirely different passage again. Okay. So today, we're going to think about some of the potential traps that we fall into as Christians when we're serving. Okay. And don't feel too bad because we're all falling into them. It, it's, it's just what we're going to do. So the first one, there's lots, but I'll just give you a few. For example, duty. We're doing it because... I should do this. I feel guilty if I don't do this. I don't particularly enjoy it or want to do it, but if I don't do it, I feel completely guilty that I should have done it. What about um, recognition? This is one that we might fall into too. Um, it makes us feel like we have a purpose. We have a role to play. Uh, when people tell us, yeah, you did a good job, it, it, it gives us something that we desperately need, okay? And that is going to be all of us. So don't be down on yourself. Don't start thinking, yeah, that's me. All of us are going to be at some point in that category. And then fear as well can be a motivation. If I don't do this, God won't love me, okay? He wants me to do this. He's told me to do this. I'm not a real Christian if I don't do this. And there might be just that temptation in the back of our mind. If I'm not doing this, will God not give me what I want? So there's maybe a little bit of fear. And all of us will be able to identify with these at some point. And I could go on and on and on and you'll have your own. But when we're looking at this today, we have to remember that Jesus doesn't expose our hearts to condemn us, okay? He says, Jesus Christ came into the world not to condemn, but to save, okay? So Jesus comes to us this morning in an attitude of love, not to condemn you, not to make you feel bad and miserable and hopeless, but to show you the way forward, he loves you. Remember, he's coming to save, to heal, to enable you to be the people that he created you to be. To enjoy his presence. And this morning, we're thinking about the answer to those traps. The answer, how do we serve and love selflessly? How are we going to do that? 
So let's start. We're going to read John 13, and we're only going to read verses 1 to 5, and then we'll read a bit more, okay? So, it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I'm going to stop there. Now, as we come to read this text this morning, uh, we've got to do a little bit of work. Because when that happened was 2,000 years ago in a different culture. So we need to understand what was going on and then bring it up to what it means now, what it's going to mean always. We don't generally, unless you're Jewish sitting here, which you might be, we don't celebrate the Passover every year, Jewish festival. We don't generally have servants much. We might have, might have a cleaner, I suppose, but other than that, we're not going to have servants who are living in our house, many of us, unless, I don't know, you've sprung in here and I don't know who you are and you've secretly got 50 servants. Uh, we don't tend to have that. We don't tend to need our feet washed because we have really nice tarmac roads. Okay, we're not really nice, but we have tarmac roads. <laughs> great, no, not great pavements, but they're clean. And we don't tend to wear sandals. So we're going to need to do a little bit of jumping here. John writes his gospel to the Jews, okay? Um, he writes it specifically to convince them that Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah. He chooses really carefully stories from Jesus' life that he puts together as evidence that Jesus is who they've been waiting for. He says, you know, all that in the, uh, what we now call the Old Testament, everything they knew of the Bible at that time, Every prophetic word, symbol, word, everything has been pointing towards Jesus. The stories that they heard on their grandmother's knee before bedtime were about Jesus. That's what he's going for. He says, that's what it's all about. And here, bang in the middle of his evidence gospel is this scene. The purpose, the reason that Jesus has come, and he calls it the hour. If you look in verse 1, it says, Jesus knew that the hour had come. The hour had come. Now, all through John's gospel so far, he's been saying, it is not the hour. It was not the hour. It was not the hour. And now, he says, It's the hour. It's time. This is why Jesus has come. And he's going to dedicate the rest of his gospel to saying what this hour is. What is the hour about? Now, if we go back to Passover, this is the setting 
that uh, John has chosen. This is his evidence that he's putting forward right in the middle. This is the beginning of the hour, and it starts with the Passover. Now, if you don't know anything about the Passover... Every year, the Jewish family would gather around a table. You can imagine there's candles, and there's granny, and there's the littlest one. They're all there. A massive extended family meal. And they're gathering around to remember this pivotal event of their history as the people of God, as Jews. And what is the event they are celebrating? The Passover, the Exodus. Now, the the history of the Jews is that They were in Egypt and they were slaves. They were treated horrendously. They had an awful life. They had been through a time where their boys were murdered brutally by throwing them into the river Nile. And they've been crying out to God to rescue them. And into this God comes And he brings his rescue. And he does it through a messenger simply saying to the king, let my people go. I don't want you to treat them like this anymore. Let them go. And the the final plague, if you've seen the film, is when um, an angel of God comes across the whole land and horrifically kills the firstborn child of everyone there. It sounds utterly horrific, but if you compare, just start to think about how these people have been treated. He's saying, let them go, let them go, let them go. And the Jews are protected by taking a lamb, slaughtering it, and painting the blood on the outside of their door. And in here, they shelter They are covered. They are protected from this plague. So they are saved. And after this, they are free to leave. So this is our setting, isn't it? That it says, and now it was the hour. Okay, this is the hour. Okay. So at this point in the setting, John says the hour has come. And it says... Look look a little bit lower down verse 1. We're still in verse 1, believe it or not. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, East Telos, you don't need to know that, but that's, that's, that's the word that John uses. It means final, complete. It means finished. It means perfection. It means there's nothing left to do. And this is what John is now going to write about. How Jesus will love the people that follows him to perfection, to finish, where there's nothing else left to do. So that we're full up, we're completely and utterly loved. We couldn't be loved any more than that. It would be impossible. And what is John going to write about? Jesus going to the cross, Jesus being beaten, Jesus being stretched out on a cross, Jesus being nailed to the cross, Jesus gasping for breath, and Dan went very much into it last week. This is how he will love them to the end. And a a couple of chapters later, John will say, um, greater love has no man 
than this, than they lay down their life for their friends. And so this is the backdrop that John writes in, how his how Jesus, with all his disciples, in mid-meal of this pinnacle moment, will get up and he will wash their feet. And this will include Judas, remember, who has already sold Jesus out. Judas, who's already taken a quick buck so that he can be okay And Jesus will start the ball rolling towards Jesus going to the cross. Now, in this setting, remember, we're making the jump again. The lowliest of slaves would have washed the feet, okay? The lowliest, the the lowest of all slaves. And we don't know why there isn't one there, but they're not. And Jesus gets up to do this. It would be um, similar to me now saying, okay, guys, We've only got one toilet, and uh, I'm really sorry, but someone had a very dodgy curry last night, and it's completely blocked. It's up to the brim. Um, anyone want to have a go? <laughs> no, no one wants to have a go, do they? But I want to say, what if, alternatively to that, I said, oh, well, there is that toilet, but there's also one nice one. I've got five keys for it. It's beautiful. You go in, there's nice, soft toilet paper. There'll be nice hand cream when you finish. There's a little lady or gentleman waiting to spray you appropriately when you've finished, if you'd like that. It's uh, it's just beautiful. It's so clean, and it's just gorgeous. Who wants a key? Like, you're going to stampede, aren't you? And imagine now, I give you five. I'm going to give you five keys, and you can give them away to other people. Who are you going to give them to? Maybe, you know, you say, oh, well, you know, they're disabled. They, they need it. Or, oh, he's a really nice guy. Or that's family, and I'd love them to have a key. I wonder how many of us kept a key for us. I've got one in my back pocket, definitely. I don't want to go to the toilet that's uh, slightly blocked or very blocked. And we start going into who deserves a key, don't we? But Jesus is about to give all his keys away. And he's going to give one even to Judas. Even to that person that you do not think deserves that key at all. Why on earth should they ever get one? He's going to give it away. And how does he do this? Because this is important, isn't it? How do we do this? Because none of us want to do this. Well, let's look at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. Because of this, he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing. Okay, he knows something. It says because of this. Okay, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power. He knew who he was. He knew what he had and that he had come from God and returning to God. He knew where he was from and where he was going. Jesus knew it all. He doesn't serve needing anything from the people he serves. That's the important thing here. He doesn't serve needing anything from the people he serves. Even Judas, 
He can serve him because he doesn't need anything from him. He's got it all already from his father. And that's why he's ready to give all his keys away, everything he's got, and love them to the very end. We often hold back because we just don't get it yet. If you look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, don't have to look it up, I'll read it there. Oh, it's loading. Paul prays for them, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that means you started in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And Jesus is filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul knows that when we know that, we'll be able to serve. Okay, let's read the next bit, 6 to 11. Let's find it. Okay. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. So here and here, he incorporates that he already knows what Judas has done. He's fully aware. So the next bit, the offer of Jesus' love. Jesus goes around the disciples washing their feet. He's doing weird stuff, but that's what he does. Okay, Um, And Peter, like the ever-ready bunny he is, refuses flat out. You know, he's the, uh, you call, I come. You say, I got it. Oh, yeah, I'm on your back. And Jesus loves him for it, but he's got a long way to go. A lot. Peter says, you're not washing my feet. You're the Messiah, the King, the Teacher. This is ridiculous. No, you will never, ever wash my feet. So Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you've got no part. That is, unless you let me make you clean, you and I have got nothing in common. We're not on the same team. So Peter just goes, yeah, okay, all of me, do it now. He's so cute, isn't he? And he's a bit like the person who hears um, a sermon on fasting and then they run out going, I will never eat again. Or the one who says, you know, I've heard, a, I've heard it on serving. I will give everything away today. He's one of those. He just, he just can't get enough of it, can he? And Jesus loves him. But verse 10, hold on. What does it say? Those who've had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean they're not every one of you. Okay, another weird thing in here. 
We need to do a tiny bit of work. Clean equals choosing to follow Jesus. Jews were really familiar with being spiritual clean. Now remember, they've been reading this half, this three quarters, their whole life. They know what's in here. And in Leviticus, is like the guide to temple worship. They know that if you killed an animal, that afterwards you would be made spiritually clean. Okay? Spiritually clean. Everything, maybe the thing you deepest regret, maybe uh, the thing you wish you could go back and change, the harshest word, when you've totally and utterly lost it with your children, which I did this week. I apologize. And God's forgiven me. Thank goodness. And so have the children. Thank goodness. Um, Every harsh word, every betrayal, when you just snuck in and did something for your own selfish gain, every selfish choice, gone, removed, clean. It's like you had a CV before and it listed everything that you'd ever done wrong. And now Jesus says, you let me wash you, I will give you this perfect CV instead. Nothing they've done. It involved sacrifice, the sacrifice of a lamb. And the Jews know this. They know this. They're sitting around. The Psalms tells us as far as the east is from the west, as in you cannot get any further, is how far we are away from the sins that we've made when we choose to follow Jesus. Jesus is saying, follow me, obey me. I'll wash you clean. I will take it. And do you remember the little house they were hiding in? I will cover you. I will protect you from the punishment that's coming. But you've got to choose. It's always our choice. He will love us to the end. No matter what we do, he will continually love us and keep saying, I will take that from you. Let me take it. But it is a choice. You have to make that. Will you choose? And finally, last few minutes. It's the challenge of Jesus. Verse 12 to 17. Let's read the final bit. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked. No, of course not. (laughs) You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. And very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus extends his example now to the disciples. He says, you want to follow me, guys? You're my apprentices. You've been following me. This is what it looks like. Unless, of course, you think that you're greater than me. Go serve each other. Love me selflessly. John is showing here in his record of Jesus' actions... That when you know, like Jesus, who your father is, 
the king, the creator of the universe. When you know that you're a son or daughter of that king, when you know that you couldn't be loved any more, it is impossible, you'll start to serve like Jesus. When your identity, who you are, Jesus knew who he was, is secure. When we get that we're loved, we're daughters and sons and heirs, that we're forgiven, that we're friends of God, we'll start to serve like Jesus. And when our purpose is clear, when our mind has been transformed, and that doesn't mean that we just study a lot, but when we've allowed the Holy Spirit to change the way we think, that our goal in life is not to get, but to give, and that we want to give glory and honor to the Father. Remember Jesus, what did he, he wanted to glorify the Father. He wanted to give him honor to show what he was like. We'll start to serve like Jesus. And when we do, Jesus makes this promise. This is a promise. Verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed. Happy. Happy if you do them. Want to know the secret of happiness? Here it is. We're in a massive battle, aren't we? When we become believers, we don't get changed straight away. We're just like, oh, I'm perfect now. No. There's a battle going on in us. There's, there's the way we used to do things versus the way Jesus wants us to do things. There's the way we used to think versus the way Jesus would like us to think. This one here says, get as much stuff as I can and I'll be happy. And th- there's some truth in that. You know, if you've got a nice family and a nice house and a nice job and nice this and you're comfortable, I'm not saying you're miserable. That, that would be silly, wouldn't it? But what we're saying is, if you don't have that, you can still be happy. Jesus is saying, above everything, I can give everything I've got to the very end, to perfection. Every key I've been given, I can give it away, and I'll still be happy. And this is the promise that Jesus makes to us. When we can begin, as it says in Ephesians, to grasp the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of Christ, we will begin to serve like this. We're drawing from that everlasting capacity of love. When we can love the world, even like Jesus did when he washed Judas's feet. And why does he do it all? It says he endured the cross. He went to the cross for the joy before him. I always find that fascinating because it was not joy, but it was the joy before him. And part of that joy is that he might display God's glory. And what is it to display the glory? It's to show the goodness of God, to show his character, to show who he is, that he's merciful and he's kind and he's good and he loves you and he will do anything for you. That is to display the glory. As we obey Jesus as messengers and we carry the truth, we want people to know the following. God made you. He loves you. 
He gave himself for you. He made the entire universe, and yet he still knows your name. He still knows how many hairs are on your head. He wants to rescue you. He wants to bring joy into your life, happiness, contentment. And he wants to know you like a father and a child. And when we get to that point where we're starting to, and it's a process, starting to grasp the love of Jesus, our purpose becomes to show people that. That we will love them how Jesus loved them, no matter what. We will serve them, even if they're going to turn around and reject us. Even if they're going to betray us. It's kind of beside the point. We want to love them to the very end. We don't want to give up on them ever. In this church family, it's a real joy to see people serving each other. Jesus saying in here, serve each other. You know, and I was thinking about this. It was like when people move house, they help each other. When people have a baby, we take the meals. We come round, check how you're doing. We offer to babysit for each other. We take each other to the to shopping if we need help. We get the lifts to each other to get to places. We um, help each other decorate when we move. We are loving each other. But in a way, it's kind of the easy bit. The hard bit is loving the people that we don't think we like or don't deserve it, who really don't care that we loved them, actually. The take, take, takes. In our community, no one's Lord. There's just one. There he is. Uh, Jesus is Lord. And if he was here, he'd have gone to that bathroom by now. It'd be done. He just snuck out. (laughs) And he's still serving us. It says he lives to intercede for us, to plead for us. He's still praying for us. He wants us to know that love, the grasp it, the height, the depth, the width. He wants us to get that. That's what he wants us to understand. And he wants us to serve like he served. But not because he told us to, but because we understand the love. Do you understand? It can't come from another place. At work, it might look like we take the rubbish desk no one wants. We might offer to do the boring jobs. In our home, we might um, clear up the rubbish that's on the street that no one particularly wants to pick up but thinks it looks bad. We might offer someone a lift, a meal at our house. We might loan our stuff out freely without ever thinking about, well, if it gets broken, it gets broken. If someone says, I need a car, you say, yeah, borrow my car, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's just stuff. We run them to the hospital. We take care of their kids when they're like crying on you and saying, I don't know how I'm going to do it at work this week. We say, oh, your kids, it's fine. And it might be a sacrifice, but why are we doing it? Because we want them to see the love of Jesus that we have experienced, that we have begun to grasp. And we've only got that much so far of how much God loves us. So we want to serve, not out of guilt, not out of duty, recognition, build up our ego, or even to win them, as it were, for Christ. We need to acknowledge, like like Peter, that we need Jesus to change us as well as to clean us. And Jesus to fill us with the truth of who he is, who we are in him, 
and what we have that money just cannot buy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you showed us the extent of your love. We're so sorry for the times that we've acted so selfishly. Please forgive us. Please fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, changing our hearts and our minds, that we can grasp further the height, the width, and the depth of your love. That we can serve you and serve others selflessly and experience that joy. Father, help us to identify our selfish motives and to just lay them before you again and again, asking you to replace those with a sure knowledge of your love for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you have promised to love us to the end, that you will carry us on to completion despite our constant failings and help us to remember that you've forgiven us and love us completely. Lord Jesus, you are our Lord. We want to follow you. We want to be your messengers. So help us, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, if you would